Our epistle lesson for the morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 19 through 26. Hear now these words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, May your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. That's the line, supposedly from the great Green Bay Packers football coach, Vince Lombardi. And there are a lot of problems with that line. First of which is that as best we can tell, Vince Lombardi never actually said it. It's also been attributed to Bear Bryant and to Red Auerbach and any number of great coaches in any number of great sports. It was probably written by a reporter in the 1940s. And it wasn't written quite like that. Of course, there's a bigger problem with the line. Not so much in what it says, but in what it implies. Show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Implies that virtue and goodness count for pennies on the dollar against the overwhelming worth of winning. And yet for all those problems, the line lives on. Cam Newton shared it in a, play, in a press conference after a playoff loss as a way of taking ownership of what had happened. And about every three to four years, another athlete says it. Repeats the line, it lives on in our life because no matter what objections we might raise to it, no matter what kind of nuance we'd like to put around it, there is a simple, brutal logic to it that we understand. We may not like it, but it makes sense on a gut level. Losing is final. Our losses demand the last word from us. By definition, lost opportunities do not come around again. When we lose money, we can make new money, but we can't make the money that we lost before. We feel the loss even more acutely in things that are not so easily counted. When time is lost, it's gone forever. We can take the loss well, we can take it badly, and those are the things that we can control. But the loss itself is beyond our power. It is final. We can change the adjective, but not the final word. Losing always leaves us loser. 
Kids get this. They understand it every year around Good Friday when they ask their pastor, why do we call it Good Friday? How could we possibly call it good that Jesus died? And for 2,000 years, Christians have done our best to try and explain it. How it could possibly be good that Jesus died. We say that he paid our debt to sin and set us free. We say that he died to show us that death is nothing to fear. He died to show us that he would never break his promise. He died to show us that God will not let sin run rampant in the world. He died to show us a better way to live. And he died so that we could know that God forgives even the worst thing we might do. And all those answers are good. But they aren't good enough. They are not good enough to compensate for the overwhelming loss. What good is freedom without a God who will show us how to use it? Most of my worst losses have come from my own free will. What good is it to have confidence in the face of death? I've seen a lot of confident people lose. What good does it do if Jesus keeps his promises to us until his very final breath? What does that matter once his breathing has stopped? Who will keep faith with us then? What good is there in a God of justice once justice has been sealed within a tomb? What good does it do to know that there's a better way to live once life is lost forever? What good does it do to live by truth and goodness when lies can silence them behind a heavy stone? You can show me all the goodness of Christ's sacrifice. You can tell me that Friday changed everything, but the day after Friday felt a lot like the day before, maybe even worse. Show me the tragedy of the cross. Show me the beauty of it. Show me the power of it. Show me something good in it, and I will show you a world without Jesus. And if we call that a win, that's just pitiful. If all we can show the world is Friday, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Show me a good Friday. I'll show you a Friday. Look around, everybody. It's Sunday. And we have something else to show the world. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And hear Paul tell it to us and show us all over again. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Do you know what would have happened to us if Christ had only died for us? and not been raised from the dead. I have no idea. And it does not matter because the tomb is empty and Jesus lives and Christ is risen. He walked out of that tomb to show us something. 
to show us his wounds, to show us his body. And when Christ showed us his resurrected body, he showed us how all of creation and all of human history can share in the will and the power of God. When Jesus showed us his body, he showed us who wins. And if you are here this morning, and all this is new to you, or if you're a little rusty on some of the specifics, I want to be specific about what Christ has shown us. These are the historical facts, attested not only by the early Christians, but by the non-Christian historians of the day, attested by the historians of our own day and time. These are what a non-Christian historian, Paul of Fredrickson, calls the minimal facts about Jesus. There is no serious dispute that Jesus lived and existed. No serious dispute that he died on a Roman cross. No serious dispute that his body was buried in a known place and that it disappeared from that place. And there is no serious dispute that his followers then spent the rest of their lives allowing themselves to be tortured and hunted and killed because they were so intent on telling others that the reason the body was gone was that they had seen Jesus and he was alive. Those disciples did not get any royalties from this news. They did not sign any book deals. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthians today, he wrote as someone who did not even get the satisfaction of saying, I told you so. Because Paul had refused to believe it. Before the crucifixion and after, he refused to believe that Jesus was the Savior of us all. Paul had dedicated his life to doing the hunting and torturing, and the killing of the first disciples until Jesus showed up in his life. And then Paul left his cushy government job with power and authority so that he could join the hunted and the killed. He did it all for the sake of Jesus. That Dr. Fredrickson I mentioned earlier, that non-Christian historian, she speaks for the scholarly consensus when she says, I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw, but I know as a historian, they must have seen something. In their own words, they saw Jesus. And when God showed them Jesus, God showed them the first fruits. God showed them Christ's resurrected body, and they saw what we're really playing for. When God showed us Jesus, he showed us really what it really looks like to win. You see, because the tomb is empty, God has rewritten all the rules of winning and losing. Because the tomb is empty, there are no more sacrifices in God's kingdom. There are only investments. If Jesus is the first fruits, if Jesus really is bringing life to everybody just as Adam brought death to everybody, if Sunday has even turned Friday into something good, then Jesus really is what the book of Hebrews says that he is. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And every loss can be undone. Everything we surrender to God, even our lives, even our sins, even our bodies, will be remade in glory. And when we show the world Jesus, we show them what winning looks like. Sometimes it means giving up on some of the things the world calls trophies. 
It means turning away from what the world calls business as usual. It means losing the last word over how we spend our time, our money, our energy, our thoughts, so that we can say a risen Jesus is our Lord. But Christ came and he died and God raised him in glory to show us that none of these things we give up is really a loss. Because Christ is offering us the riches of heaven. And he is offering us more than all the time in the world. He is offering us an eternity so vast that it even works backwards. One day the day will come when Christ has put all his enemies under his feet. And even the little losses along the way will be transformed into victories. It'll be like Frodo Baggins said, all that is sad will come untrue. One day we will look back on all our so-called losses, and if we have placed them in God's hand, God will show us that even death has been swallowed up in victory. And then we will say, death, where was your victory? Where is that sting we felt so badly? If Christ had only died, there would be no reason for us to call it good. There would be no story we could tell that would make it good. If Christ had not risen, then Paul is right, and all this is useless, and we are to be pitied, and everything is lost for everyone someday. But because the tomb is empty, even our losses will be made into our gain. And so this morning, the good news is that Christ is risen. And the call for us is to live as if that explains everything. God wants to show the world what it means to win, and he wants to show it through us, through you. He's inviting us to live lives that only make sense if Jesus lives, because resurrection is the only victory that truly wins in the end. And sometimes following a risen Savior means going places that seem foolish to anyone else. That's what the people saw when they saw the church in Corinth, the church that Paul was writing to that day. They saw a church of people who could never have gotten along if they didn't know Jesus. We'll be talking about that church throughout our Easter season, through the weeks ahead. But for now, it is enough for you to know that the city of Corinth was one of the most diverse, most polarized, Wealthiest, but also most contentious cities in the entire ancient world. And the church in Corinth was made up as the same kind of people as the city. In the book we read from Paul, he specifically mentions over and over how astonishing it is, how incredible, how unexplainable it is that these people would even eat at the same table together. People who had nothing in common, except they had seen something in Jesus that changed everything. And these were the ones whom Paul first called the body of Christ. And God still longs to show the world the body of Christ. To show the world what true winning looks like. When I show people my life, when I show them this church, I want them to see something only Jesus can explain. I want the world to see the living presence of Christ's Holy Spirit at work in me and in his church so that we can show them Christ's body 
and show them what true winning is. In the next 50 days, between now and Pentecost, I am praying for two things that only God could make possible. That only could be explained by God's presence among us. I am praying that in this season of Easter, this season of resurrection, that God will bring 50 new members and 50 tables into our fellowship. It's 50 days between now and Pentecost. And I believe there are 50 people whom God is calling to join God's mission and join with the body of Christ here at Dauphin Way. And I believe that God can still show the world a radical kind of fellowship around tables of supper clubs and fellowship dinners that continue to gather those who might never have known each other if not for the fact that God has shown them Jesus' presence. I believe that Jesus wins because I believe that Jesus lives. I believe that a living Jesus is still doing new things because that's what it means to be alive. I believe that if you base your life on his death and resurrection, then you will see and know a victory that the world cannot give you. I believe in the God who has shown me changed lives, the God who has shown me light shining from darkness. I believe in the God who has shown me that healing and forgiveness and love are not just for noble losers. I believe in the God who has shown me that these are the things, healing, forgiveness, and love that have won the day and they will win on the last day. Because I believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead. And I believe that Christ is risen. And I don't just believe it. I'm counting on it. I want a life that can't be explained in any other way. And so I will wake on this Easter day. And every day of the Easter season. And may I wake every day of my life asking God to show me again. Show me death and resurrection because that's the only victory that matters in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen